In John chapter 18, we're going to see the trial of Jesus. And I want us to remember that this is all in the context of Jesus being revealed as the Savior of the world. So that's the series that we're going to be going through through the end of this. And as we dive into this tonight, I want us to have a reminder that we looked at last week and we're going to continue to look at it. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen, Mark, that Jesus endured the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. That's an essential reminder as we travel through this chapter and the rest of the chapters in the Gospel of John. To remember that this is not just a story to be appreciated, but a story to be personalized. That we have to remember that all that Jesus endures, in this scene specifically, we're going to see injustices and inconsistencies in Jesus' trial, and yet he endures it for us. He endures it, if you can can just personalize it in your mind, he endures it for me. That he could pay for the sins of humanity of which we are all a part. So don't forget that. I just want us to keep that fresh in our mind as we look at this story. The story of Jesus being revealed as the Savior of the world that it's done for us. It's done because we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Well, in his being revealed as the Savior of the world, tonight we're going to see the trial of the King. And that's what we're going to title this, the Trial of the king. Jesus in this scene is going to claim to be the king. The king of the world. And yet that king is going to be placed on trial by his own creatures. Sinful humanity is going to place God in the flesh on trial. And it's just an unbelievable scene. Even just that, just fathoms imagination. How can God be put on trial by man? And yet tonight we're going to see just that. The king officially put on trial for his life. He's going to be put on trial by a man named Pilate. If you look in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28, we see that Jesus is led from Caiaphas into a place called the Praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves, the Jews, did not enter into the Praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate is going to be, outside of Jesus, centrally focused on in this passage. Pilate is the man who holds Jesus' trial. This man, Pilate, is is essentially, in in Jesus' day, he's, he's essentially a governor of this area. And he's specifically in Jerusalem, probably for the Passover. And and because he's here, he he lives in this place called the Praetorium that's explained in verse 28. So, So Pilate is here. They bring him to this political individual of authority. He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. And that's important to remember. Pilate is not someone that is placing Jesus on a religious trial. Rather, the Jews are bringing Jesus before a politician. And he's being placed on, on a, 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 in a civil trial. 
They're saying that Jesus is doing that which is illegal according to the laws that are in place by the Romans who are ruling this area. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate because he's the governor. He's essentially the the ruler of this area and he has the power to condemn someone to death. Pilate has that ability. He has that much power to say this man deserves to die. And if Pilate says that, then Jesus' fate is sealed. Pilate, historically, is a, is a man who's actually known for being, even among, even among other individuals of his rank, was especially um, violent, especially bloody, especially prone to condemn people to death. There's multiple historical accounts of just how extreme Pilate was in his condemnation of individuals to death. And Jesus is brought before this man, this this governor, this political ruler by the Jews. The scene takes place in in a place called the the Praetorium. It's explained in verse 28. The Praetorium was was simply where, where Pilate would have stayed when he was in this area. And uh, the scene's going to take place in a little bit of a unique way. Jesus is led inside of this building. He's led inside of this building into a room with probably not that many individuals. Pilate is there, probably a few other people, but it's not a crowded scene. Outside of the building is a crowd of the Jews who led him here. Now, we don't know exactly how many. We know that it was a large group. We know that Jesus was being led, uh, we saw a couple weeks ago, by a group of men that was probably between 600 and 1,000. There's a lot of people here that are leading Jesus to this place. It's a large crowd. But Jesus is inside with just Pilate and a few other individuals. And and what happens is Pilate comes out. He talks to the crowd. He receives information that he needs. Then he goes back in and he talks with Jesus. Then he comes back out and reports to the crowd and asks them more questions. Then he goes back in and talks to Jesus, doing all of this in an attempt to decide the fate of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in this scene, in this praetorium. Pilate's going back and forth between this room with Jesus in it and this courtyard filled with a crowd of Jews. It's important to note that Jesus is being accused of things that simply aren't true. Jesus is being accused of, one, being a threat to the Roman political system. If you read all the other Gospels combined with this one, it becomes really clear that the message of the people is that Jesus is a threat to the king. Jesus has claimed to be king, and so they're coming and they're saying, Oh, politicians, this man is a threat to you. This man will overthrow you. This man will take your place, so watch out. Deal with him because he's dangerous. He's dangerous to you. You may remember in in other Gospels, one of the cries that they have is, we have no king but Caesar. That's something that the Jews rarely would have said. But in this scene, when they want to condemn Jesus to death, that's what they use. This man is claiming to be a king, and we know no king except the political king. So this man is a threat to the throne. Deal with him. Now that, simply, at this point in history, is not true. It's not Jesus' agenda at this point to to take over the throne from, from, from Caesar. 
But that's the charge that they label against him. He's also been labeled as someone that is stirring up riots. He's being labeled as, a, as an insurrectionist. Someone whose followers are going to start going crazy. Like they're going to start getting violent because of who Jesus is. And so they're saying, leaders, deal with this man. He's a threat to the peace of our society. He's a threat to this functioning society who the politicians were in charge to keep the peace. So they come to these men, specifically to Pilate, and they say, this man is a threat. None of those are true. None of those are true of Jesus. But it's what they are lifting up against him. There are so many different inconsistencies in the story that we're about to read. So much that's unexpected, so much that's just wrong. And those things are actually what drives this story. If, if, we're, if you're taking notes tonight, the, the outline that's going to structure this is five inconsistencies in Jesus' trial before Pilate. Five inconsistencies in Jesus' trial before Pilate. Let's read the story and then we'll dive into this outline. We've already read verse 28. The story really kicks off in verse 29. Therefore Pilate went out to them, the Jews, the crowd in the courtyard, and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate again entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. But for this I have been born. And for this I come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, not this man, not Jesus, not the king of the Jews, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I'm going to read the next verse. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. In that scene... We see the political, the civil trial of the king. 
And in it, what drives this story are five inconsistencies in Jesus' trial before Pilate. The first one is this. The crowd has no charge against Jesus. The crowd has no charge against Jesus. That's found in verses 29 through 32. We're going to read it again. Verses 29 through 32 show that the crowd has no charge against Jesus. Verse 29 through 32 starts to reveal that the crowd has no charge against Jesus. I want us to know the question and the answer that is, that is taking place in these verses. And I want you to catch the inconsistency. Pilate in verse 29 looks to the crowd of Jews and says, What accusation do you bring against this man? So he says, what has he done? What is Jesus' flaw? What are you accusing him of doing? It's a very specific and a very pointed question that Pilate gives the Jews. The Jews answer this way. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Okay, so what the Jews just said in response to Pilate's question, is they hit him back with another question. He says, what do you accuse him of? They say, would we be here if we didn't accuse him of something? It, it, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a, let me answer your question with a question to leave you hanging and we'll see how you respond to this. It's, it's like if, it's like if, uh, it's like if, if Jack and Nathan are, are really fighting. They're having a big argument. And they're like, all right, Adam, we need you to intercede. So they, they come into my office, and they're sitting down, and, and Jack is just ticked. He's just fuming over Nathan. And, and so I look, to, I look to Jack, and I say, Jack, what did Nathan do to you? And Jack goes, would I be here if it wasn't really bad? Like it's a non-answer, right? It's, it's avoiding the question. It's, it's, it's causing Pilate to make the assumption that they wouldn't be here if Jesus didn't do anything, but they don't actually tell Pilate what he wants to know. He says, what has he done? And they say, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't serious. It's a non-answer to the question. And in that response, it reveals something really important, which is that they don't actually have a valid charge against Jesus. They want Pilate to take their word for it. They don't have anything that they can say, Jesus did this, this, and this. They don't have it. Not as far as Pilate is concerned. Now, if they had gone the religious route, and if this was a religious trial, they could have accused Jesus of blasphemy. Because Jesus claimed to be God. And according to the Jew, that's blasphemy, punishable by death. But Pilate doesn't care about that. Pilate wouldn't care if Jesus claimed to be God. What Pilate might care about is if Jesus claimed to be king. But they don't have anything concrete to bring his evidence. And so Pilate says, why did you bring him here? They don't have a charge. They give him a non-answer in response to his question. They say, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. And so they vaguely refer to Jesus as someone who does evil. 
as far as Pilate's terminology was concerned, what they were saying is essentially that Jesus is a criminal. He's a wrongdoer. Which, which is just, it's just an amazing, amazing statement. That the only one who never did anything wrong is here being labeled as a wrongdoer. The only one who was unstained by evil is here being, being tainted as an evildoer. It's wrong. It's wrong. But this is the trial of the king. And, and there's inconsistencies through this whole thing. Jesus, Jesus is labeled as a criminal, as an evildoer. Pilate, Pilate tells them, because he, he's recognizing their inconsistency. He recognizes that they don't bring a charge. So you know what Pilate does? He says, you guys deal with this on your own. Look at, look at verse 31. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves. Judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. In that statement, the Jews' agenda is revealed here. They come to Pilate for one reason. Because they want Pilate to condemn Jesus to death. But it's actually a little bit further than that. The Jews, the, the, the Sanhedrin, these leaders, they don't have the ability, they don't have the authority on their own to condemn Jesus to death. It was a more tedious process than that, and they thought that this was a more efficient route of getting Jesus condemned to death. But actually more than that, God is at work in this scene. Because what we're told is that they wanted Pilate to put Jesus to death so that the prophecy about Jesus' death would be fulfilled. That's what, that's what we're told in verse 32. This was done to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Not just that Jesus was about to die, but how, what kind of death Jesus was about to die. And this is so cool. Pilate condemns Jesus to death on a cross, which is exactly what Jesus prophesied would happen to him. If the Jews had condemned Jesus to death from a religious perspective, he would have been stoned. The Jews didn't crucify people. Only the Romans did that. And so we actually see the sovereignty of God being revealed in this story as, as these men are condemning Jesus as an evildoer of which he is not and they bring him before Pilate. They take a political angle rather than a religious one so that he would be killed efficiently so that he would be lifted up to die and that's all how God planned it. That's all how Jesus prophesied that it would take place. They don't know it but they're fulfilling the very words of God. And in doing so, they're bringing about the events that are going to lead to Jesus being lifted up as the Savior of the world. So he endures these false claims, knowing that it's leading to the, to the salvation of souls. And remember, he's enduring it for us. Everything that takes place here, it's for you. First inconsistency is that the crowd has no charge against Jesus. The second one, the second inconsistency 
is that Jesus is no threat to Pilate. Jesus is no threat to Pilate. So we're in verse 33 now. The Jews don't take Jesus away. They keep him with Pilate, and Pilate has to deal with this scenario where this large crowd is essentially a a mob that wants Jesus dead. And so in verse 33, Pilate goes back inside to talk to Jesus again. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So at some point, the Jews bring up the fact that Jesus is claiming to be a king. Pilate goes back in and says, are you the king of the Jews? Remember, the question that Pilate just asked is a heavily political concern. Pilate doesn't care about Jesus' claim to be a religious king. He cares about Jesus' claim to be a political king. He cares about a threat to the political system that's been established. So Pilate says, are you the king? Are you the king of this group of people? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers in a unique way. Significant in verse 34. Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? So Jesus fires back at Pilate. He says, who's asking? Is this you asking Pilate? Or or, or is this the crowd asking through you? And Jesus asked that question because he knows the inconsistency that's being exposed here. He knows that Pilate is concerned with a political agenda, that the Jews have a religious agenda. And so Jesus wants to clarify where this is coming from. He's like, who's asking this question? Is it you? Is it the Jews? Because Jesus knows that Pilate is actually in a really awkward spot here. He's carrying out something that he knows is inconsistent, but there's an angry mob outside. And so Pilate asks, are you a king? And Jesus says, who's asking? Pilate responds. Pilate responds in verse 35. I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate readily admits to Jesus that he's not a Jew. But he's trying him at the request of this crowd. And so he gives Jesus a chance here. What have you done? Why are they upset with you? I'm not a Jew. They brought you to me. These are your people that brought you to me. What did you do? And Jesus then makes in verse 36 a statement of his own innocence in this matter. Jesus says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Jesus says, I'm a king. You're asking me if I'm a king. I am a king. But he, again, he attacks the political agenda here. He says, Pilate, I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world. I'm not a king of this realm. 
He says, I'm, I'm a king, and he takes the religious angle. I'm a king of another world. I'm a king of another realm. If I were king of this world, trust me, my followers would be fighting so that I wasn't handed over. But, but they're not. I'm here, and there's no rioting happening out there because I'm not a king of this world. I'm a king of somewhere else. In other words, Pilate, I'm not a threat to your political leaders. Neither are my followers. My, my, my threat is not, I am not here to take over the throne from Caesar. I'm not here to overthrow Tiberius. My kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my followers would be fighting. It's a statement of his innocence. Exactly what they're charging him of. Jesus says, I am not guilty of this. And here's the proof. And Pilate believes him. Pilate doesn't think that Jesus is a threat. He doesn't. I think Pilate buys Jesus' statement here. Now, does he believe that Jesus is the savior of the world? No, but, but he doesn't see Jesus as a political threat. He buys his reasoning. But there's still an angry mob outside. And so Pilate presses more. He picks up on Jesus' admission that he is a king, and he asks in verse, verse 37, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. Jesus is a king, but not of this world. And on that basis, Jesus should have been let go. There's no longer anything to hold against Jesus. He's innocent at this point. No other accusation has been brought against him. He should have been let go here, but he's not. He's questioned further. It's an inconsistency. Jesus is still under trial, even though he's no threat to Pilate. He's no threat to the political system. There's more, there's more. That it's, it's not right. It doesn't make sense in this passage. Not only is Jesus no threat to Pilate, not only does the crowd not have a charge against Jesus, but, but third, number three, Pilate has no regard for truth. Pilate has no regard for truth. If you're taking notes on versification, the last point was from verses 33 to 37, the first half of 37. And, and, and this, this next point is, is from the second half of verse 37 to, to the beginning of 38, 37b to 38a, where we see that Pilate has no regard for the truth. Pilate presses him, so you admit you're a king. Jesus says you say it correctly, I am a king. And then Jesus goes off on a tangent, not about his kingship, but about what his role on earth is. Look at verse 37. You say correctly that I am a king, period. That statement ends. Then Jesus says, for this I have been born, and for this I come into the world to testify to the truth. 
Jesus makes a statement to Pilate that's partially about how he's not functioning as a political king, but more than that, it's revealing Jesus' entire purpose in his life on earth. He looks to Pilate and he tells him something of eternal value. Jesus looks at Pilate and he says, here's why I came to the world. Pilate, here's why I'm here to testify to the truth. That's why I'm alive. That's why my feet are on this earth. To tell the truth. To reveal the truth. To show the truth. And we've seen that as a theme throughout this entire, this entire gospel. Jesus reveals the truth. He preaches the truth. In fact, John 14, he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, Pilate, I'm here not to overthrow Caesar, not to overthrow Tiberius. I'm here to testify to the truth. It's a significant statement. But Jesus takes it even further, the last, last verse in verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth, he says to Pilate, if you're of the truth, you hear my voice, he says. It's a bold statement. A bold statement that Jesus makes to Pilate. Pilate, I'm here to testify to the truth. And anyone, anyone who is of the truth hears me. They believe me. And that's terminology that Jesus uses here that we've seen a lot through the Gospel of John. When, 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 when we see terminology about hearing Jesus' message, it's, it's actually like belief terminology. Jesus used, Jesus used words back in, in John chapter 8, verses 43 and 47. In fact, let's, let's turn there. Let's turn there. Go to back 10 chapters to John chapter 8. Verses 43 and 47. Jesus is talking to Pharisees in this scene. And he's using the exact same terminology that he's using with Pilate. In chapter 8 verse 43. Jesus asks a question of the Pharisees. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Why does my message not make sense to you? Jesus asked the Pharisees. Here's why. It is because you cannot hear my word. You cannot hear my word, Jesus says to the Pharisees. And it's not that audibly they couldn't hear him, but that it didn't make sense to them. Look down at verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you, he says to the Pharisees, are not of God. That's the hearing terminology. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he says, look, the people who are of God, they hear my message. The people who are not of God cannot hear it. They can't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. When we walked through this passage, we looked at something called satanic blindness, which is that God has blinded the eyes of every man. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands the gospel until God opens their eyes. And that's the terminology that John uses here. You only get my message if you're of the truth. So turn back to John chapter 18 and we see him preaching the same message, not just to the Pharisees, but to Pilate. Back in John chapter 18 and verse 37, Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If God opens your eyes, you believe me. 
It's a really significant statement that he makes to Pilate. But Pilate looks back at Jesus and asks a question that's more of a statement than anything else. He says, in verse 38, Pilate said to Jesus, What is truth? What is truth? Now, a lot of people have taken that statement and, and jumped into the epistemology, the, the, the study of knowledge. That Pilate is asking Jesus a really good question. Jesus, what is truth? Help me understand what truth really is. Really, that's not what Pilate's doing here. Pilate isn't asking questions. He's not philosophizing about what is truth. Pilate's making a statement to Jesus that Jesus is saying, if you're after the truth, Pilate, you listen to me. And Pilate looks back at Jesus and he says, what is truth? And he doesn't wait for Jesus to answer. Look at, look at verse 38. Pilate says, what is truth? And when he has said this, he went out again to the Jews. He asks a question and he leaves. His statement to Jesus is that Pilate doesn't care. Pilate doesn't care. He doesn't care that Jesus is claiming to be the truth. And that, that if you're after the truth, you believe him and no one else. Pilate says, truth, what is it? And he walks out. Pilate has no regard for the truth. And that's a fascinating statement considering the Pilate's whole job in a trial is to find the truth. He's supposed to find the truth. And Jesus says, I'm the truth. If you're about the truth, believe me. And Pilate says, truth? What is it? And he walks out. He walks out and he goes back to the Jews. And, and this brings about the fourth inconsistency. The fourth inconsistency is that Pilate sees no guilt in Jesus. Pilate sees no guilt in Jesus. It's shown in, in the second half of verse 38. After all of this, Pilate sees no guilt in Jesus. Jesus is innocent and Pilate knows it. He doesn't care about Jesus' claim to be the truth, but he knows that Jesus is not a threat. He knows that Jesus isn't guilty of what he's being accused of. Again, Jesus should have been set free. He's not guilty. There's no reason for him to die. And yet chapter 19 verse 1 is still where this story is going. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Jesus' destiny is secure. This is going to result in his death, even though Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate, the very man conducting the trial, who's supposed to be evaluating whether Jesus is guilty or innocent, knows that Jesus is innocent, and yet Jesus is still headed to being beaten and killed. How do we know that Pilate knows Jesus is innocent? Verse 38. When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate knows Jesus, Jesus is not a threat. He's not guilty of what they're saying. He goes out to the Jews and he tells them that I don't find him guilty. This is inconsistency is so important because it, it reveals that even though Pilate knows he's innocent, Jesus' destiny is secured. He's still going to the cross and he's enduring this, these inconsistencies. He's doing it for you. God's hand is in this. That even though the judge, Pilate, knows he's innocent, Jesus is still heading to the cross. This is, this is the ultimate injustice. 
He's innocent and yet paying as if he were guilty. And he's doing that for us. He's doing that for me. He's doing that for you. So this is crazy. There's, it's really popular right now. There's a lot of stories and movies and things that are being made of people that are accused of doing things that they never did and paying the consequences for something that they were never guilty of actually doing. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to say, is this person guilty or is he innocent? He's been, he's been paying the penalty, but is he guilty? You know, the greatest version of that story is, is, is Jesus. Not only is he not guilty of what he, they're saying he did, he's not guilty of anything. He's never done anything wrong. He's pure. He's innocent. He's perfect. And Pilate knows it, but he condemns him. Condemns him. From a human perspective, this is... It's like, it's like a courtroom upset. Like the greatest upset in courtroom history is that the Jews have Jesus condemned. It doesn't make any sense. But he endures it. He endures it for us. And that brings us to our last inconsistency. The fifth inconsistency is that the crowd has no concern for safety. The crowd has no concern for safety. That's shown in these final verses, in verses 39 through 40, we see that the crowd has no concern for safety. So Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus. So he looks to the crowd and he says, he's innocent. I find no guilt in him. But it's still an angry mob. It's still an angry mob. And so Pilate, Pilate has a plan here. He's going to cut the Jews a deal because there's this little tradition that the Jews have with the political system in which Pilate would take someone who was being held prisoner and release them back to the people during the Passover, which is right now. The exact reasoning of this is unknown. There aren't a lot of of historical references to this event. But Pilate says that this is a tradition, that this is a custom, that Pilate would release a prisoner back to the Jews. So Pilate makes an offer to the Jews. He knows Jesus is innocent, and so he he tries to kind of get around something here. There's this man named Barabbas, and Barabbas is in prison. And Barabbas is, he's like, he's a bad dude. Barabbas is a murderer. He's a robber. He's someone that's been involved in riots. And he's, he's, he's referenced in one gospel as a notorious prisoner. He's famous for all the bad that he's done. He's well known. So Pilate goes, okay, Jesus is innocent. I have Barabbas. Here's what I'll do. I'll offer him a deal. I'll say, who do you want me to release? Jesus or Barabbas? Because nobody would ever choose Barabbas. No way. Not this guy, not after all he's done, not after how wicked this man is. And so he says, I'm releasing someone to you. Who do you want, the king of the Jews or Barabbas? And the crowd calls for Barabbas. They say in verse 40, so they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. a backfired plan most likely by Pilate there's no way that anyone would want Barabbas in the streets no way and yet they call for Barabbas it's it's another inconsistency another thing that just doesn't make sense and yet it all happens because Jesus is headed to the cross he does it for you
He does it for me. And so that brings us to this. If you throw this last statement up on the board, Mark. Though it, it doesn't make sense. Jesus' trial is part of God's plan to pay the penalty for my sin. Though it's riddled with inconsistencies, though it makes no logical sense, though Jesus is innocent, this whole scene is part of God's plan. It's all taking place to fulfill God's desire that Jesus would pay for the penalty for my sin. Don't just appreciate this story. Remember that Jesus is enduring these injustices on our behalf. 